following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. This week, as I said, we're jumping back into the Testify sermon series after our break last week for our baptism uh, gathering, which was real awesome. Um, I, was, I was super uh, encouraged and excited about that service and about those coming from darkness to light, from death to life, and, and declaring their allegiance to Jesus. And I thought it was awesome that we were able to do that in the midst of this Testify sermon series where we're talking about people being saved by grace. So this week, I'm, I'm actually wrapping up our Testify sermon series I, this series alone, I think, has been so good and encouraging to me, and I know from talking to you and hearing from other people that many of you have felt the same way, and you've been encouraged, and it's helped you. I, this sermon, though, for me, was a little, it was a little hard to, to put together, because if, if you don't know me, or if you do know me, if you don't, I'll give you a little insight into who I am. I don't really like to talk about myself too much. So it was kind of a stretch. I, 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 when, I, when I talk about something that matters, I just want to talk about the Bible and what it says, what it means, how we can apply it to ourselves. I want to talk about Jesus and how good he is. But I realized that's, that's what I'm doing by, by talking about myself, by sharing my testimony, because it's not really about me. It's about what Jesus has done in me and for me. So... It also doesn't help that my testimony to some uh, may be a little bit confusing or weird. Um, I'll explain that a little later. But um, So let me go ahead, jump in, and I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, who I was, I should say. Um, basically, I grew up in church my whole life. I had a great family, though my parents divorced when I was young, but uh, I, I don't really even remember that. Um, that to say that my life wasn't perfect, but it was pretty stinking close. I, I didn't really experience much hardship. Um, the majority of my education was at Christian schools. I was surrounded by what I knew as Christianity. Uh, a high moral code was ingrained in who I was, from, from parents who were Christians to the church I attended to the schools I attended. I went through uh, this phase where I even wore these uh, bracelets that said WWJD. Maybe some of you have heard of those. Um, and in middle school, if you would have asked me what my favorite music was, and this is a big deal because music has been a part of my, my whole life, and I lead worship. So if you asked me then, in middle school, what, what's your favorite music? I would have dead-faced, for real, looked at you and said, it was my collection of WOW worship CDs. Yeah, so uh, if you don't know what WOW worship CDs are, I don't even know if they're still a thing around. Maybe they are, I don't know. But uh, it was a collection of the absolute hottest contemporary Christian songs from that year or the previous year. I forget exactly how it worked. Um, a, a little caveat, when I was a little bit younger, so bef before middle school and, and being very into WOW worship CDs, um, I was very into my cassette single, my cassette tape. I know that 
means I'm old. Um, I was very into my cassette tape single of Billy Joel's The River of Dreams. It, it goes like, I go walking in my sleep. Okay, anyways. I was really into it. Little, singing it, jamming hard. Uh, and then after that, a, a little older, but still before middle school, I was very much into my Garth Brooks CD and my John Michael Montgomery CD. Yeah, country. Um, which is, I've, I've grown to appreciate country music as I've gotten older. When I was younger, I was like, no. Well, when I was younger, I was really into it. Then I was like, no. And now I'm back. I'm like, it's fine. Anyways, uh, John Michael Montgomery CD, to this day, I'm just giving you a little insight into who I was, who I am. I'm weird. To this day, the John Michael Montgomery CD has one of the only songs that I know most of the lyrics by heart. And if you ask people who know me, I don't know a ton of songs by heart. It's hard for me to memorize lyrics. But for some reason, this John Michael Montgomery song called Sold was stuck in my head. Yeah, some of you get it. I heard but if, if you don't know, I just want, let me give you a little taste. I'm not going to sing it, but let me go ahead and recite it. I'm going to look, because I'm in front of everyone, and I don't want to panic and actually forget, but I promise you. Ooh, ooh, no, no. <laughs> Anyways, it goes a little something like this. And I said, hey, pretty lady, won't you give me a smile? I'll do your bidding and be at your beck and call. Yeah, I've never seen anyone looking so fine. Man, I got to have her. She's a one of a kind. I'm going once, I'm going twice, I'm sold to the lady in the second row. She's an eight, she's a nine, she's a ten, I know. She's got ruby red lips, blonde hair, blue eyes, and I'm about to bid my heart goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, so pretty good, right? Just wanted to give you a little taste. I'm not necessarily uh, saying go listen to that song, but for some reason it's stuck in here. I don't know. Uh, I Actually, recently I admitted to my wife, Jill, uh, I don't know if she'd heard that song before or not, I don't think so. Uh, I admitted to her, I said, uh, I know the lyrics to this song, and it's kind of embarrassing. Um, but, but what I did when I told her about it, I said, I said let, let, me, let me sing it. I sang it for her. She's special. So I sang it for her, and I said, I said, I said baby, this is how I feel about you. And I'm smart. I got a big brain. Not really. And I, and, I, and I changed the lyrics, and I said, she's got ruby red lips, brown hair, brown eyes, right? Because that's what she's got. Anyways, of course, she did not uh, laugh at me at all, or, or uh, um, think it was embarrassing that I knew most of those lyrics. She actually was incredibly impressed and infatuated with me even more. Uh, anyways, I say all of that to say that... Uh, when I was in middle school, I turned from my evil ways of listening to those types of songs, and I was only into my WOW worship CDs. Um, then moving on, when I was about 14 years old, I started to, to teach myself how to play drums. And I, I caught on to that pretty quickly and naturally on my own. And um, when I was about 15, maybe almost 16, um, and nowhere near ready, the worship pastor uh, or worship leader um, for the church I was at, he, he looked at me and he said, Jordan, I hear from your mom that you play drums. Um, well, uh, you're up, because the drummer we had moved to another state. So, after changing my underwear, I, uh, 
hesitantly jumped in and started playing uh, with the worship team in the big people grown up services. Yeah. Um, pretty quickly, though, I started uh, playing drums for four services a week and, and two practices a week for um, all of our church gatherings. Um, and in, in many other ways, I'll explain more uh, how I was playing drums in all types of worship settings. But um, then once I was uh, a freshman in high school, um, remember I went to Christian schools. Um, so we had this thing, if you went to a Christian school, you know, uh, we had this thing called chapel every week. It was, I think ours was on Wednesday. Every Wednesday morning we had chapel, which was like a, a mini uh, church service, basically. Uh, so the guy who led worship there found out from my cousin, I think, who went to school with me that I played drums, and he said, hey, can you play drums for these chapel services? So I did, and I jumped in and started playing drums for these uh, school chapel services on top of all the church gatherings. Um, during my high school years, uh, all, my, all my friends, school friends and church friends, that's all I had, uh, were, were some type of Christian. Um, one of the non-churchy things I can remember doing was when I was a senior in high school. So this is supposed to be when you're supposed to be doing crazy things according to the world, right? So here's one of the non-churchy things I can remember doing. So I, I turned 18 before uh, the majority of my friends in high school, and we thought it would be absolutely bonkers, crazy, if I went to the gas station with them and I bought us a couple black and mild cigars for us to smoke, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we drove down to this gas station, like, a mile at least away from the school. Uh, and I walk in, and I go in. I'm sweating absolute bullets, okay? And I'm 18, I'm allowed to do this. But I'm like going in, and I'm like, um, those? And then I, I pull out my license to prove that I'm 100% 18 and 100% allowed to do this. And I'm like, yep, yeah, it's fine. I buy them, okay? So then we all jump in our car, because we're not going to smoke them at the gas station, it's too close to the school. So we drive a couple miles further away to this closed Skyline Chili, actually, of all things. Uh, and we get out in the parking lot, and we light these bad boys up. We start smoking them, and we immediately realized how incredibly disgusting they were. They, they didn't taste anything like they smelled. They smelled like warm vanilla, and they tasted like trash. Who knew? What a, what a stereotypical Christian kid thing to do. And uh, mom, if you're watching and you didn't know that story, I'm sorry. Uh, if you asked my friends, uh, again, school or church friends, who Jordan was when he was between the ages of 16-ish to 20-ish, early 20-ish, um, I think the majority of them would probably say I was, I was laid back, I was the funny guy, I would do just about anything for the laugh, the guy who you could dare to do just about anything. You want to jump off stuff? Let's do it. In fact, I'll do it in my birthday suit. Uh, you want to go to the big grocery store and you want me to sneak in and turn off the automatic door so that people, when they're trying to leave, just slam into it because they expect it to be open? Yes, I'll do it. 
I even went so far one year uh, on a camping trip that a bunch of uh, our, my friends went on every year. I thought it would be really funny uh, if I like, had some Daisy Duke shorts and a cutoff. I've always been a bigger guy, so <laughs> imagine this. Daisy Duke shorts, some cowboy boots, a cutoff shirt of sorts, and I double-pierced my belly button, top and bottom, and had a sparkly, glittery, dangly pink Supergirl belly button ring. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I did these types of things and many, many uh, much more wild things that shall never be spoken of, especially on the internet. Anyways, this is, this is who I was. This, this good kid who was somewhat moral and believed in God and was surrounded by Christian-y things and people and, and played drums in all types of worship settings and was laid back and funny. Now, let's, uh, let's put my story on pause and let's uh, look at some scriptures. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 14. Uh, I do want to say, if you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the Connection Center right through these doors over here, and we really want to give you a Bible if you don't own one. So after our gathering, feel free to go through to the Connection Center and grab a free Bible, because we want everyone who wants one to have one. In the meantime, the verses will be on the screen uh, behind me. All right, Ephesians 5, let's jump in. Verse 1, and we're going to go to 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you uh, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that No immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not partake in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all these things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen. Praise God for his word. Now you may be thinking, this is kind of a weird set of verses to go along with your testimony that you've given so far, but friends, I assure you, it is not because this set of verses is talking about me. This set of verses called me out for who I was. You see, I I, I thought because of everything I just went through, because I 
was so stereotypically Christian-y and seemingly clean-looking to others that I was light and not darkness. I thought I was wide awake, but in fact, I was actually sleepwalking. So I told you who others perceived me to be and who I showed myself to be and let uh, others see who I was, but now let me tell you who I really was. And this, my friends, is where it gets a little heavy. If you know me, any sermon I've ever preached, it's usually pretty heavy, and I'll give you another insight into who I am. I know my propensity, and you'll, you'll see, towards apathy. So sermons I like to hear, sermons I like to preach, or sermons that come in with the hammer and just, bam, absolutely slam, because I need reminded, because I need to know how good Jesus is and how much I should respond to that, because I need to be reminded that there is no room for apathy, even though I'm prone to it. So, a little insight into maybe why, if you know me, or if you don't, my sermons are always a little heavy, and why I, any sermon I want, that I, that I like to listen to, I, I want it to, to cut me, to, to cut away at uh, any sin and darkness in me. So here's, here's who I really was. If you looked inside my heart, here's who I really was. I, was. I was selfish, and I didn't really care about people at all. All I really cared about was, was having a good time and life being easy for myself and doing what, what made me happy and doing what made me feel good. I didn't really like to feel anything like sad or serious or negative or heavy. My whole life was, I had insulated it to where it was always good. My supposed Christianity was actually mediocre, and it was on cruise control. Sure, I would read my Bible every now and then, but it was, it was mostly uh, as a guide in hopes that it would somehow make my life better and easier now. I had no ambition in my actual life, and especially no ambition in my Christian walk. My only true passion was actually music. I would attend uh, church services regularly because that's what was expected of me and, and, and what I believed good Christians did. I, I cared more about what people thought about my outward actions than what God actually thought about my heart. My selfishness and, and lack of care for others was most evident in how I secretly sinned and treated women from ages 16 to my early 20s. This was really how Satan took my Christian mediocrity to a whole nother level. I would go and play drums uh, for four services a week, have two practices play for my chapel services in high school, and then I would go and make mistakes with girls and then run and ask for forgiveness from God because I was afraid of the consequences that someone may find out that, that God may uh, be angry with me. And so I would ask for forgiveness and then over and over the cycle went. You see, I would ask for forgiveness because, and, and never, I would ask for forgiveness and never truly repent because I just wanted to be saved from the penalty of my sin and not from sin itself. I didn't truly hate sin. I wasn't truly repentant for my sin. I was just sorry and I knew God was going to punish me for it. I didn't really ever evaluate myself, and I was hardly ever introspective. I was asleep, and I had no idea, and the reality is I don't think I really even cared to know. I was more worried about my life here and now and never really thought about eternity. I was focused on things I wanted to do that made me happy and made me feel good. 
I found myself satisfied with mediocrity because I was good, especially compared to the secular world around me. I knew there was people much, much worse than me. I probably would even have said that I I love Jesus and that he was a part of my life, but he was a part of my life. He was a part, uh, a small section of my time and of my money, of my thoughts, and, and I even gave him a small section of control in my life, very small. I was assuming, and I think there are plenty of uh, Christians, and even, not to jump on the American church, but American Christians, um, who, who do the same thing. I was assuming that because I was good and moral and did all these Christian-type things that I was actually actively following Christ. But I wasn't at all. I wasn't putting into action what I said I believed because I didn't truly understand what I believed, because I didn't actually spend time to actually believe what I believed. And I think if I search deep into my heart, then, again, I don't think I care to even know what I believed. As as Francis Chan says, life is like a river and pursuing Christ requires swimming upstream. And when we're not swimming upstream or actively following Christ, we are automatically being swept downstream. And friends, I was floating fat down the river. And I'm not saying that, that you have to work your way to salvation. I'm not saying that at all. 100% we are saved by grace through faith, and it is the gift of God. But true faith manifests itself through our actions. I mean, that's what James says, right? When he says uh, that faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. So I thought because I didn't really drink and I never really uh, cussed that I was a true believer But really, besides those things, I I didn't look much different from your typical unbeliever. I equated my uh, my partially moral, clean life with holiness, but I couldn't have been more wrong. I think Jesus would have looked at me then, and he would have said to me, you are a whitewashed tomb. Maybe beautiful on the outside, but inside, you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In all honesty, the truth is, if I suddenly stopped believing then in God, I I don't know if my life would have actually looked that much different. You see, I felt pretty secure because I attended church services regularly, and I played on the worship team for every service and chapel services for school, and I made some type of profession of faith when I was a young kid, and I was baptized when I was a young kid, and I came from a Christian family, and I had Christian friends, and I went to Christian schools. I felt safe because I was wearing this label that said Christian, and because some people around me even said, yeah, yeah Jordan, he's a, he's a Christian, I guess. And, and everything else around me and the people around me, they all had this label that said Christian. But I would say that I was in one of the most dangerous places that anyone could have been in. You see, I was, I was a sinner in need of a savior, surrounded my whole life by this good news, but yet somehow missing it, never really hearing it, and never really letting it truly affect who I was. I was sleepwalking, and Christ 
all the while was calling to me, wake up, sleeper. So my eyes began to to open from my slumber a little bit when I was in my early-ish 20s. I, I decided to go on a missions trip to Mexico. I don't know why I decided that. Um, maybe because it was the christian thing to do back. That's, that, that was my mentality then. So I went on this missions trip, and I believe that during that trip, God began to um, chip away at my apathetic heart. He began to instill in me a, a, a passion for serving others, a passion for caring about others. Uh, he began to instill in me a true uh, empathetic spirit. And so after that trip, uh, I come back. I can't remember exactly how far. I'm not super great with timelines. I had to talk a lot to my wife about timelines because she's like, she's got it. She's got like notebooks of like when everything happened. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like our daughter was born like 10 years ago. She's, she's one and a half. Um, I'm not that bad. Anyways, so sometime later after I came back, within a year we'll say, um, my eyes uh, were finally truly opened when I faced uh, a big terrifying decision, and that's how it felt to me anyways at the time. Maybe it wasn't that huge, but um, I, so I had this big decision So I did what I had always done in the past, and I asked the Lord to selfishly help me and make my life easier. I even decided this time, though, to actually read my Bible and do this little thing that I had seen other Christians do, and I even had participated in when I was younger, uh, that that when you need a clear uh, direction or answer from God called fasting. Yeah. So yeah, so I was... um, I was praying, uh, reading my Bible, and fasting. You see, my motives, though, were still wrong, but the Lord had me exactly where he wanted me. It was during these times of, of fasting and reading God's word that it became the actual living words of God to me. The Lord opened my sleeping eyes, and for, for what I can really only explain as the first time, all of these verses... Um, that I had heard before from growing up in church and Christian schools and on and on and on. All these verses, though, about who Jesus was and what he was about and what he did for me and how I was supposed to respond became a reality to me then and there. And I began to crave the Bible more and more. And I continued to fast and pray and read the Bible. It was like I had never heard these words before. And now that I'm hearing them, I got them and I needed more. I had to have more. So I started praying and fully, truly believing things like, God, you are my daily bread. Your word is more important to me than anything. I hunger and thirst for you and less of me, for more of you and less of me. Upon realizing this, upon realizing who I really was and who Christ really is, I was overwhelmed with gratitude and passion. I realized how over my head I was in debt to Christ how drowned in debt to Christ I was. I saw how high the the heights of my gratitude should be because of what Christ had done for me. And it wasn't in the sense of trying to to pay God back for what he had done or 
um, tried to get even with Jesus for what he had done, um, or, or any sort of these types of works so that God would accept me. But it was, it was in this realization of knowing how good Christ was and how much he had loved me and been gracious and merciful towards me. And then out of that, I had an overflow in my heart of wanting to serve him for his glory. I drew closer to Jesus and he drew close to me. In his great mercy, he, he woke up he woke me up from my slumber. I never knew. He, this is, if, if you ask me to boil my story down, it's this one phrase right here. I never knew I was asleep, but as soon as I became aware of my sleep, it was undeniable and evident that I was actually now awake. Why I often explain my testimony as weird or confusing is it's because I, now I know a, a decent amount about the Lord and I know and have learned um, a fair amount of theology and doctrine. But if you asked me, you came to me and you said, Jordan, when did you become a Christian? I'd say, mm, complicated. Um, and I, I still, to this day, I struggle to give an answer. Um, and I know there's lots of people out there who, maybe not lots, I know there's lots of nerds out there who would want to argue with me over this and say, no, let's, let's get down. Let, no, here's when you actually became a Christian. And, and I get it. I've done this myself a lot, and I've done it with a lot of people. And I'm open to talk about it. I'm always open to talk about what Jesus did for me. So if you feel that way, come find me. We'll nerd out together. Um, anyway, so, so I would always struggle to to have an exact answer, and I still do to this day. Um, but here's what I know, that this section of verses in Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 14, I looked at a lot of commentaries. I read a lot of theologians about this section of verses, Ephesians 5. And all throughout history, many different theologians have applied this set of verses to believers and non-believers alike. And here's what I also know. Here's what I know. Here's what, if you were like, when did you become a Christian? Blah, blah, blah. Push me. Berate me. Here, this is what would come out. I was asleep, and now I'm awake. Pretty simple. Um, now I want to take a closer look, though, at Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 14. And no, for those of you who are very nervous right now and may be wondering, this is not the start of my actual sermon. Uh, I just want to... I can't open the Bible and not like want to go through and figure out what it says and then how to apply it somewhat to our life. So um, we're going to do that quickly. Uh, I have three things that I want to look at. Uh, three ways that I think these verses tell us, um, three things that a truly awake believer does, we'll say. And those three things are they imitate God they walk in light, and they are awake. Uh, this section of verses opens with the command to be imitators of God and walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. Now, these verses, they don't say, uh, think about God, admire God, or even adore God, though all of those things are fine, and they're Christian uh, duties that we should do, but this 
Imitate God is a call to action, to, to going beyond our inner life with God to outward action. Imitators of God, it's a call to action. You see, and it's incredibly hard to move into action when you're sleepwalking. To, to, to truly understand the love of God, we have to look at Jesus, who is the ultimate uh, imitator of God the Father. So how did Jesus love? Christ loved us and, and gave himself up for us. Uh, so Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have but couldn't. And then he died our death in our place for our sins. So how do we imitate God? We walk in true love that is defined by the cross of Christ. We love others by giving ourselves away for their good. We love like Jesus, and that involves, we love like Jesus, and that involves sacrifice. It involves action, and it involves self-giving. God's interaction and behavior towards us becomes our measure of how we interact and behave towards others. It's been said many times, and maybe it's even cliche at this point, but I think it's still true that, that many of us get sucked into this idea that we would lay down our lives in a big dramatic way to show our love uh, for others. But the reality is that God often calls most of us to lay down our life little by little, loving day by day. We can grow in love by, by meditating and thinking upon Christ's love for us. As we, as we do this, it should compel us to love like our Savior. How, how can we think about Christ's love for us and then go and treat people the way maybe we sometimes do, or even worse, be indifferent and not care about people at all? Amy Carmichael, a missionary to India, said, One can give without loving but one cannot love without giving. Part of imitating God and, and walking in love is not only uh, truly sacrificially loving those around us, but it's also caring for the lost. Did God not care for you when you were lost? Of course he did. So our, the, the call to imitate God then would be for us to go and tell others about what God has done for us, to go and tell others about the gospel, that's a call to action as we imitate God. There are maybe uh, some of us, maybe some just like I was, who seem to be good, excellent, moral people in the eyes of the world, but, but nonetheless are not awake to the interests of Christ's kingdom. As I stated earlier, uh, that this section of verses can be applied to believers and unbelievers alike, but I believe that if I was any type of Christian at all, that these verses called me asleep and possibly even dead. Because I was, I was outwardly dead to my usefulness of the mission of Christ. I, I didn't care about others, and I didn't truly care for the lost. I'll say this, and then I'll move on to the next point. I think what I had done, and I think... What often happens, unfortunately and sadly, for those who are in the church is, is that we've concocted this idea of a non-fruit-bearing Christian to make Christianity easier. 
And the reality is that if we search this Bible, if we look at every page, the Bible doesn't say anything about a non-fruit-bearing Christian because there is no such thing. And that's who I was. We are called to walk in the light. As Christians who are fully awake, we are called to walk in the light. Paul goes on in these verses and he says, don't do these things. Immorality, impurity, greed, uh, filthiness, crude talking, coveting, idolatry. These are the things of darkness. And he says, you are light in Christ. Children of light, so walk in goodness and righteousness and truth. Paul is, is simply stating here, you are children of light, so live like it. We, we have to notice that Paul's appeal here, it, it isn't to avoid these bad things and do these good things so that you can be a Christian, but instead it's you are a Christian, now live in a manner fitting of a Christian. Live in a manner fitting of one who bears the name of Christ. Live in a manner fitting of one who reflects the light of Christ. Really, there's only two options. Choose to follow Christ and walk in the light or refuse to follow Christ and walk in darkness. The result is the same whether we are talking about believers or unbelievers. If you have, by the power of the Spirit, heard and obeyed the command to arise and you have received the light of life, you'll be enabled by the Spirit to live a life filled with light rather than darkness. And in this, in this is life abundant. And in this is, it's, it's joy filled to the brim by Christ's spirit. As we turn from darkness to light, as we focus on reflecting Christ's light to those around us, as we focus on loving him and loving others, those things become more natural to us. And as we pursue him in these ways and so much more, we are actually satisfied in him. Because that's what we were made for. We were made to be in relationship with God, and Christ made that possible. And we won't be satisfied with anything else. Our hearts will continually be restless until they rest in Him. That's Augustine. If I ever had a relationship with Christ, it was always being choked out by um, all these other things that I put in front of Him. I was piling all sorts of things on, on top of it. I was too full of what I considered uh, good things, not realizing that they were actually toxic and dark. I was worshiping created things rather than God the creator. I'm inclined to say even, and this is, again, I know it's confusing. I'm inclined to say that there was actually no light in me because I was so full of darkness and here's why I say that, because light and darkness cannot exist in the same place at the same time. Now, I know that we all sin and we all make mistakes. None of us are going to be sinless this side of eternity. But there's a difference between a life that is characterized by these sorts of, of habits and mentalities and a life that is in the process of sanctification, of being radically transformed day by day to be more like Christ. Most often it's when we stop, here, get this, most often it's when we stop actively loving God and loving others that we find ourselves restless and gravitating towards other means of fulfillment. 
The life of a Christian should always be preaching a sermon, should always be exposing surrounding darkness, should always be inviting unbelievers to repentance. That's what walking in the light is. It's Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. You who follow me will not walk in darkness, but you have the light of life. A Scottish Christian poet said it beautifully like this. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look onto me, thy morn shall rise and all thy day be bright. I came to Jesus and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life, I'll walk till till traveling days are done. You see, Jesus wasn't my star. He wasn't my son. And I would ask you the same thing. I would ask you to introspectively ask the Holy Spirit to search you. Is Jesus your star, your son, your everything? Now, if you are a Christian and have been a long time or maybe even uh, are recently a new Christian, Paul's call here in Ephesians is to remember your conversion where God has called you to turn from the old life and to respond to this call And as you do, the mighty light of Christ shines upon you and saves you. And now you're called to live out the ethical implications of this wonderful change. Not so that he will love you, but because in light of the fact that he has loved you. You're no longer darkness, but you are light. And there's no middle ground or shades of gray. You're either light or you are dark. Awake, sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. This is the call to the sleeping Christian. And the like, it's, it's, it's the call to the unbeliever. Awake, is, it's not a future tense, uh, but, but it's right now. It's a call. Uh, if, if you call to someone and say, wake up, you don't mean like at some point. You mean like, wake up right now, here and now. I want you to get up. Wake up. And that's the call of Christ to us. We can't afford to delay. We, all believers and unbelievers alike, must arise from the darkness of sin by the power of God's calling spirit. Dead means a body without life. And here I I think, and again, I've read theologians and commentators that take it both ways, but but here I, I believe that it can be used either way to describe a a state of unbelievers who have no spiritual life because they are dead in their trespasses and sins, or to describe the state of believers who are in a death-like stupor or a spiritual condition that is the result of dulling, deceiving, and becoming insensitive to the effects of sin. Jesus' call to us is that he wants all or he wants nothing. I w- okay, I wasn't going to go into this, but I just want to mention this. Um, so I read this book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan years and years ago. It's a good book. If you haven't read it, go read it. Um, it, it had a big impact on my life. Um, and there's probably tidbits of it all throughout this sermon. Because what I'm really saying without saying it is a term maybe many of you have heard, lukewarm, right? Um, but here's what I want to point out. So I'm saying Jesus wants all, or he wants nothing. 
Um, Here's what I'm saying. There is no such thing as a lukewarm Christian, right? Maybe some of you are like, no, no, that's not right, because I've, I've heard that term, lukewarm Christian. Yeah, I've said it plenty of times. Here's the reality, though. Go back and read that in Revelation. God's, God's talking to the church, and he says, you're lukewarm, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And how, how does he describe them for being lukewarm? He says, you're poor and pitiful, and you're blind, you're naked, Does that sound like he's describing someone who's a Christian? Blind? Doesn't um, amazing grace open our eyes, right? So there is no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. You're either hot or cold. You're either light or you are darkness. Jesus' call to us is that he wants all or he wants nothing. Because if you're in between, he will spew you out of his mouth. We can't be half in and half out. We can't have our our pet sins in our pockets and and want to keep them and carry them around. We have to be about putting our sin to death. We can't attach Jesus onto these other things in our life, like he's just one little piece that I I put on my uh, Pandora bracelet or another charm I put on my Crocs, right? I don't know if these are relevant, but anyways. um, He must be our everything and anything else has to revolve around him. He is the center. To be a believer and to to be a believer who is fully awakened, it's clear that there should be nothing more important to us than Christ and his gospel and his mission. We have to be willing to say that he can have whatever he wants, that our commitment to him is more important than anything and everyone else in our life. We can't hold anything back. You see, I... I thought I could live my life in fragments, right? But that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus' call to believers is he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Jesus asks for everything, but oftentimes we try to give him less. This is, this is hard. I get it. This is heavy. This is tough, and the reality is we may waver, but we have to press on by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to go against the current. We have to take up our, co- our cross. We have to count the cost. It's not easy. And isn't that what Jesus says, basically? He says, the, the road is narrow, and few will find it. I think that Christians may find themselves asleep, if not watchful. I actually, I just preached a sermon not too long ago uh, uh, during the Servant King series through the book of Mark. Um, And I preached on the Garden of Gethsemane. And there was uh, Peter, James, and John. They go with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're Christians, right? They're disciples. (laughs) I would hope so. So here are these three. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. And what's he say? He says, stay here. And pray while I go a little further. What happens? These Christians, the disciples, they, they fall asleep, right? So I think it's totally possible for Christians to find themselves asleep, if not watchful. Jesus even comes back in that sermon. I don't want to re-preach it, but Jesus goes back uh, in, in that story, and he comes back, and he's like, what are you guys doing? Like, he tells them, I think, three times, like, stay, stay up and and keep watch. And he's not, he's not saying keep watch for me, for Jesus. He's saying keep watch over your own souls. Be watchful because right now you're going to be tempted 
to fall away, to, to deny me, to run away. And yet all three times they keep falling asleep. The reality is, though, that it can be very much the same with us. With us. Christ is, is interceding for us, and we, we are down here sleeping. Jesus is, is pleading before the Father's throne and pleading our case, and we are not watching or praying, but we are busy here and there and wasting precious time while people don't know the truth of the gospel. Spurgeon, yes, a quote from Spurgeon. I can't, I can't do a sermon without a quote from Spurgeon, all right? That's my boy. My mom got me, <laughs> my mom, my mom got me a shirt uh, that says Spurgeon is my homeboy. It's pretty cool. Uh, when I have a beard, which I normally do, long story. Anyways, I even kind of look like Spurgeon. Here's the deal, though. I'm nowhere near as smart as Spurgeon, unfortunately. I just like to think maybe. That's why I quote him. Anyways, sidetracked. Spurgeon describes one part of a sleeping Christian like this. Here's what Spurgeon says. The sleeping Christian does not enjoy the word. If he reads it, the text seems meaningless. If he hears it, he thinks the preacher does not preach as he used to. If he goes to sing with others, he throws no heart into it. If he joins in the prayer meeting, he goes in and out, but he does not wrestle with the angel of mercy. As to his own prayer closet, it is full of cobwebs. As to his own heart, he has not had an inspection of it for many a day, because the man is got into a slumbering state. Awake and sleep no more. Don't you know who Jesus is? Don't you know what he's done? How he loves you? How he's died for you? How he's been full of mercy and grace towards you? How he's blessed you? Don't you know of the promises he's had for you? If you've never known him, I pray that the Spirit would enlighten your eyes to see Christ in his fullness for the first time. And if you've known him, I pray that the Spirit would awaken you no matter the cost. There's no time for sleeping. There's so much work to be done. We should go out every day, Monday through Sunday, fighting for Christ, contending for the faith, seeking together the outcast, looking after the poor and needy, the, the weak and feeble, confronting the hopeless, and putting out all of our strength for the name of Christ because he is worthy because he's good. This is what it looks like to, to imitate God, to walk in the light and to be fully awake. I, I do want to say with this, um, with my testimony, it, it didn't end with, with Christ uh, waking me from my sleep as I fasted and studied the word there on my lunch breaks. I don't know if I said that. I did this during my lunch breaks when I fasted and studied my Bible uh, at work. Uh, but it, it, it didn't stop there. Um, I, I could have talked about so much more uh, of my testimony and so much more with these verses, but we would have been here for about five hours, and I don't want to do that to you or myself. Clearly, my throat would not last. Um, my, my testimony, my Christian walk has been an ongoing process, as all of ours are. Um, it's, it's an ongoing process of, of sanctification, right? We're not going to do things perfect here and now, right this second. 
The, the goal is to be more and more like Jesus every day. And not of our own strength, but of the strength of the power of the Spirit in us, right? Submitting to that. So my testimony, um, it, it, it required this process of sanctification and still does. And it requires so much more, right? By God's grace, he gives us his spirit. And he gave me, uh, which I would encourage all of you to find, Christian friends who, who are truly awake and seeking after Christ alongside you. Jesus graciously gave me my wife, Jill, who seeks after Christ alongside me and still to this day pushes me to become more and more like Jesus. Here's another thing. Most of you are here, so I'm assuming this is true of you, but uh, to be a part of a church who loves God and loves people and is about making disciples and is about putting the gospel first and living in true, authentic community, not hiding in darkness, but being in the light together. These are the things that that are helpful, that God has graciously offered to us in our walk of sanctification. So as I begin to close, I want to make clear, because it, it may have sounded like the opposite, maybe. Here's what I don't want to happen from me sharing this part of my testimony. I don't want everyone to walk away from here doubting their salvation, being like, dang, dude. Am I saved? That's, that's not my point. I promise you. Um, the reality is we're all going to fail at loving Jesus perfectly. And the reality also is that his grace will cover us. We each have elements or, or ways that uh, we are prone to fall asleep. But because of the extravagant grace of Christ, there is room for our failure in our sin, in our pursuit of him. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient. What I'm trying to do, what I was trying to do is I'm trying to draw a line of distinction between giving a false sense of, of comfort to someone by calling them a Christian because they do some Christian-y things or, or because they are somewhat moral and, and draw a line between that and denying the reality of God's grace by declaring someone unsaved because they sinned. Christ calls the unbeliever. He pleads with you to wake up and he will shine on you. And when he shines on you, you'll be a light, reflecting light to others. And he says to those who are Christians, wake up, you are sleeping. Death is all around you. Darkness has nearly engulfed you. Wake up and let Jesus shine on you. And like a refining fire, he will remove all impurities and darkness from your life. And then he can truly shine through you and the darkness will begin to fade because it's light that puts out darkness. God wants to change you. He wants to change me. Continue to change me. He loves you and he cares for you. Jesus died that you might be brought back into relationship with God. Jesus paid the price that, that we should have paid but never could because we couldn't pony it up. And then he died in our place for our sins. Jesus calls us to come near and he will come near to us. God doesn't need anything from us, but he still wants us. 
He gave up his life to give us life that we might seek and know him. So whether Christian and and struggling or an unbeliever, seek after Christ. Admit your need for him. Admit how you failed and, and then trust in the finished work of the gospel and Christ's light will shine upon you. I'll end with this. Christ is the light who summons you to wake up and rise from the dead. He is shining upon you that you might become light in the world and as children of light, live lives that shine, exposing the darkness around you for what it really is. Christ shines on us and he calls us to awaken, to be a beacon of light whose life calls out in the darkness and bids them come to the all-encompassing light of Christ. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful that we have the ability to come to you in prayer, knowing that you, that you hear us and you will answer us. God, I am in awe of the fact that you have saved me, that, that you took from me, that you took me from dark to light, from asleep to awake. Jesus, I am so thankful that that you have promised that as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. God, thank you for opening my eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is. I pray now that, that you would do the same for anyone who doesn't know Jesus. God, I pray for those of us who are Christians that, that we would be moved to actions, uh, to action to be to be an imitator of you, God, to those around us. God, help us to to love you and to love others as Jesus has loved us. God, I pray that you would shake any of us who have been lulled into a state of mediocrity and indifference and sleep in our Christian walk. I pray, God, that you would shake us awake. I pray that you would instill in us a deep care for the lost of the world. Lord, I pray that that we would walk in light and act as children of light in whom you've called us to be. Jesus, help us to to surrender to you. Help us to hold nothing back. Help us to love you above anything and everything because you are truly worthy of this and so much more. God, help us to know and, and live in light of the fact that there is unimaginable joy and satisfaction found in the pouring of ourselves out to serve others on mission for your glory. God, I pray that if, that if anyone who hears this sermon is sleeping or dead, that they would hear your call to awake and arise from the dead and that they would rise without hesitation and without looking back. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.